0: to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I am Tracy Hotchner, your dog's best friend and your kitty cat's best friend, bringing you authors and experts every week to enhance your appreciation of the pets who share your lives. If you would like to hear episodes of this show you may have missed, please go to radiopetlady.com and visit the podcast library. You can also listen to all the Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with pet experts, including Cat Chat, the Pet Cancer Vet, Good Dogs, The Expert Vet, Exotic Pets, Holistic Vets, Pet Food Advisors, Humane Talk, and Authors on Animals. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content, and is brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals Omega-3 Fish Oils, Precious Cat Litter, and Waruva, a privately owned pet food company named after the owners rescued cats, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Their brands are Woluva Cats in the Kitchen in Pouches, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend Brand, created for finicky felines and fussy little dogs. All their cans and pouches are made in a human food facility, which means that every ingredient is good enough for people to eat, if your kitty will share. I have a wonderful group of guests today. I have Annie, who's going to tell us all about the U.S. Dog Agility Association and how we can join and how we can participate even if we aren't at championship level. Meg Donahue will be here to read from her book Dog Crazy, lovely new novel. And Audrey's going to join us with A Fair Shake, a wonderful organization in the city for at-risk youth working with um, assistance dogs and their handlers to learn how how to help those dogs along their path. Annie, welcome to Dog Talk. Wonderful to have you here from Phoenix. Although the Agility Association is based in Dallas, and here I am in Vermont and the show comes out of Southampton, New York. I guess dogs are just everywhere, right? You can't do anything about that.
1: That's right. We're nationwide. That's a good thing.
0: We really are. Tell a little bit about the actual association and what it does. Did you did you get involved because you were a crazy nutty agility competitor and they tapped you on the shoulder and said gee you'd be great at running this organization or how did that happen
1: well the first off the it's the united states dog agility association and we actually the pioneer of dog agility in the u.s and um, i got into agility because i adopted a dog that had needed something to do tons of energy needed something to do i'd come home from work and they would and my house would be destroyed And I thought, and I saw this agility thing, and I thought, well, that would be kind of fun. So 20 years later, here I am working for the organization, is is pretty much how it works out.
0: (laughs) An American success story. When you started out on your own, which is what I want to sort of encourage people to do, how did you? first get into it the the dog trainers who are my co-hosts on my dog training show good dogs on the radio pet lady network they're based they're they're part of snap agility and they they're based um in the middle of long island and they do a great deal of training and they they themselves and their and their clients also compete but i know once in east hampton there was a person who i don't think knew anything about agility actually somehow he had a lot of equipment and he set it up and you could Pay to take a class. And it was disturbing because, even to someone with just basic common sense, he was just letting everybody use all this equipment randomly, dangerously. Uh, Not only could the dogs get hurt, but the dogs in the end could wind up scared and confused. So it seems to me that although it's fun, it should be done through the sanction of a proper organization that has some guidelines.
1: You're absolutely right, Tracy. Um, that's the great thing about USDA is that we have a variety of programs for every type of dog and also for every type of competitor. And we have about a little more than 200 affiliated groups all over the country um, that host our trials throughout the year. And we actually probably have around seven or 800 trials a year, not counting regional championships. And then our, our our world championships that um happen once a year as well too. And and that's the thing. You can go to our website, USDAA.com and look for an area, look for the area, of the country that you live in, and look for um affiliated groups. And, and it's just a matter of, I mean, it's, you're being a good consumer at this point. You want to find something that's going to be close to your home, but somebody that's going to also be able to, be able to meet the needs of, of your dog and, and your training abilities. Because, I mean, I started out not knowing anything about dogs except that this would be something fun to do. And it absolutely is, but it opens up a whole new world to you and a whole new way of thinking, not only, um, for your dog, but just kind of how you approach life as well, which is one of the great things about dog agility.
0: Because I guess one of the things, and I took some wonderful classes at um, Southampton Shelter, which is the official shelter of the show, Amy Sadler had set up some equipment And it was for a a mixed bunch of dogs and people, which is usually how these these classes start out, right? I mean, there's older and younger dogs, older and younger people, fatter and thinner dogs and people. And some just want to give it a try and others, you know, want to go to the moon and be a champion if they can. And that was really fun only because we were guided through it correctly. But I I, I do understand that there are sort of, are there competing organizations? And is that something people need to understand the difference between and among uh, yeah, there, there's
1: a variety of, of um, I think there's probably a half dozen or so different types of organizations, um, agility organizations out there in the country. And it just depends on what you're, um, you're interested in. The, the great thing about USDAA is that not only we're the oldest, we were the first to allow any dog to compete. It didn't matter if you were a mixed breed or a purebred. You were allowed to compete side by side. Um, and that and, was not and-
0: always true with the other groups. You had to be a purebred? Correct. Ooh, I'll be darned! See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, we um, know the breeds that, that excel, and they're they're clearly distinguished as a breed. You can tell that the border collies really rock it, you know. But I didn't realize that mixed breeds was something that you, from the inception, had welcomed, and that that was unusual. So we should support USDAA just for that non non breed blindness.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that that's. I mean, the dog that I referred to was a mixed breed that. um it's a long story, but, you know, he ended up being abandoned at the veterinarian hospital that I was working at because he'd been hit by a car, and it was an easy fix, and, and like I said, he needed something to do, and for 20 years, I mean, I've had, you know, rescued mixed-breed dogs. I finally – I actually – uh, my friends give me a hard time now because I, I have two purebred dogs now that are both out of a rescue organization.
0: <laughs> um, Isn't it funny how nowadays to be politically correct, you have to apologize for having a purebred dog and then also explain <laughs> they're from rescue, somebody's secondhand dog. Yeah, that's, that's a funny thing about, about uh, political correctness in today's world.
1: Right, but, but, but and,
0: and yeah. so, but you're absolutely
1: right about the training aspect of it. I mean, you definitely need to have a good trainer, somebody who's going to teach you some good foundation. Um, and you need to understand that that if there is a commitment involved in it. But that is also part of being a responsible pet owner. Is a lot of these dogs that that excel in agility, whether it's a shelter dog, you know, with somebody else's dog first, or you get a puppy, you know, explicitly to do agility is they need a job, they need something to do, and, some, and for some dogs, being a lap dog is perfectly acceptable for them as, a, you know, as their job, but most of the dogs in the shelter, for example, they need a little bit more than that, and that's why agility is such an important role, um, and it helps them, and why place, places like you know, the Humane Society that you're referring to that holds classes is a great place for them to help build some confidence and, and gain some new skills and get them adoptable, too.
0: For the dogs that are in the shelter, as well as dogs that people have, have owned in whatever avenue they've come to own that dog, I think self-confidence is, is, is a word that sticks out in what you just said and something that people don't think about about dogs, that dogs that are fearful, defensive, fearful, aggressive, uh, cringy, uh, antisocial, for whatever reasons in their background, and it all has to do with their early handling or lack of same I think people don't understand that self-confidence, you think, oh, please, that's like a human idea. But it's not. If those dogs can develop a sense of self and a feeling, a sense of accomplishment, just like, you know, anybody's four or five or six-year-old kid who masters a new task, whether it's tying their sneaker or, you know, writing in script, it does make them a happier camper. They're a happier dog if they they have something to feel good about themselves because of. (laughs) I mean, isn't that is, do you see that in classes? The dogs start out a little confused or a little tentative or a little wary, and as they begin to do the obstacles and everyone's yelling and cheering and clapping, the dogs like fill out those fill out those big shoes.
1: Oh you're absolutely right Tracy that's exactly what happens it it helps not only does it help their confidence but it helps enhance your relationship with them because you're learning together and you're rewarding them and they're like wow I did this right I'm going to do it yes. again I'm going to get yes. rewarded again and it builds on your relationship and 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 makes it stronger and so the dogs no matter what type of personality they have whether they're shy or they're outgoing or any, or all points in between they're going to be like well if I do this you know, and I get rewarded for it. I'm going to trust you even more and I'm going to take another chance and I'm going to take another chance. And, and the next thing you know, you're out walking around, you know, at the park and there's all these dogs running around and the dog's focused on you because you are now really that dog's world because you've developed such a bond and a, such a strong relationship with them all from just taking a couple of classes in agility.
0: And you, and you do work as a team. I mean, as you said, people at all different physical levels, when we see on tv or or at an actual dog show a demonstration of agility i mean listen even dog show handlers are sprinting to 20 miles an hour if they have those big breed dogs and they have to like fly across the ring that's just handlers in a you know a non-performance just in a in the beauty contest kind of dog show but in agility the human is expending a lot of ergs of, of energy as well are there ways in which people that are less able to move like that can still do agility Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about
1: it. There's, you know, the sport has evolved in the last 25 years or more when, when it first came to be. And there are so many different handling techniques out there. And it's a matter of going back to what I said earlier about getting the right foundation on your dog to begin with, whether they're a puppy or they're a year old and they're getting into classes, get that right foundation in. And, and you can do all kinds of things. You can handle from a distance. You can handle, you know, I've seen people, what they call layering obstacles where there's one or two obstacles between them and the dog's 20 feet away and they're being directed away from them. And they're just standing in the middle of the ring and the dog is completely responding to them. Now,
0: let me just ask, were those all border collies? Tell the truth. Actually one I
1: saw was not a border call. You know, we've got some people that, you know, are in wheelchairs that are are, wow. are doing great at agility and they're handling really complicated masters level courses. Wow. And it all goes back to your training and the foundation and again the ability and the
0: trust that you have in your with your dog. So, I mean, that's something that if people don't have a mental picture of agility, there's a number of different obstacles. You weave through poles. The one that I and my dogs that I tried it with, we couldn't really do that very well. It takes a little bit of patience. It takes quite a while and, to learn how to, that's how the to hardest. weave. That's the yeah. The weave is hard, and, and you need patience, and you need to not, lose your, your, not get frustrated and not lose your temper. You are the dog. But other ones are going up and down what kind of looks like a seesaw and then there's jumping through things and jumping over things and getting on something and then making it seesaw down and waiting and I guess what's what's the most interesting part for a competitor what keeps it interesting is that you're given just like in a horse show a different course to do from different directions through those tunnels and ramps and jumps so that it's not you don't just go around the outside. You just don't randomly do all the, the obstacles. You have to do them in a certain order from a certain direction. And that's what the challenge is. If you have a really smart, high-drive do, drive dog and you've shown him or her all the different kinds of obstacles and they really are getting off on the excitement of doing it, I would think that the hard part with a really – that dog that's almost one step ahead of you, which could be your Shelty your Border Collie or any of these, like, giant stars of the, the agility ring, is – that they when they land off of a jump and they're meant to be going at very high speed they could have three or four or five choices of what to do next how do you it, 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 how it, do you it, well, keep all... them from doing those other things cuz they're so smart they're a step ahead of us we, our, our hand doesn't move as quickly as their brain
1: well it goes back to you know what we talked about it's a team sport so you the dog needs to learn that the human is the navigator for the sport And, and there's, there's very subtle cues that you can give the dog. I mean, there's people out there that I I can't do this. I'll tell you right now, but there's people that teach their dog left and right. Uh, Um, and, and and there's a variety of different things that you can teach the dogs. And when they're, they, they, they teach what they call obstacle, obstacle commitment. So when they're sending, sending them. Oh, through the weave poles for example they're moving in a lateral direction the other way while the dog is finishing right. the poles. so when they get out of the poles the dog is focused on the poles but as they're hitting that last weave pole they're looking at their handler and going oh you want me to go over here got it I don't care that there's a jump in a tunnel and something right. else in front of me you want me over here so it's just a matter it, it goes back to you know having the right trainers and and teaching the commitment and the foundation to get that all worked out and then enhancing your teamwork I mean it, it goes back to – it takes a while to to get to the point where you can actually start competing to begin with.
0: That, and that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. You're, you're, the dog is com- is committed to an obstacle, has to do that obstacle correctly, whether it's the weave or these various other planks and things you have to walk across. You have to do them correctly. You have to do the whole thing correctly and step off correctly. You can't just do halfway and go flying off to the side. And yet the right. human but- could already be headed to the next obstacle so it takes incredible, like, multitasking in a, in a weird sort of way, left brain, right brain. The dog has to properly finish what he's doing and still be aware of where his human is and not go to that place and watch for the next command until he's finished what he's doing. I mean, that would be hard for us.
1: It It is, but, I mean, dogs are are incredibly intelligent. And, and you know, I honestly say they we don't give them as much credit yes. um, as, as they deserve. And I would say that there's a
0: lot of dogs that some of us might have owned in the past or own now. We kind of say, well, they're a little dim or a little dumb or, you know, they're missing a couple of, of cards in the deck. And it's interesting because we, I think we misinterpret those dogs sometimes. I mean, I had a, a Cocker Spaniel like that. And I just said he was a poet philosopher. So when he would stare (laughs) off into his space with a rubber carrot in his mouth, which he'd do for minutes at a time, oblivious to everything else. Someone could say, God, he's dumb as a rock or what's the matter with him or, you know, has he had a stroke? No, he was just contemplating life. He was a poet philosopher. This was not an agility competitor possibility, this guy. And and as
1: you're talking, I'm watching my Malinois um, pull a one of a little a garden stake out of my garden and carry it off on into the yard because yes, I, of course, I, because I've the Malinois does today. a job at all
0: times, <laughs> unless you're a police woman and he's apprehending somebody in the backyard with the stake. But I mean, I suppose that, that that Cocker Spaniel or any other dog who isn't the Belgian Malinois, and they are also huge stars in the ring or a turvorin or any of these very light bodied, uh, Germanic shepherd type dogs. I'm sure if if Amalfi had been encouraged to try this, he might have done it in his own way, but it would have been hilarious and and quite an accomplishment because in his own way, in his own time, perhaps not beating the clock, but he would have gotten things done. He did know how to play. He knew how to play soccer. He absolutely took those big... He was from a show background. I mean, he'd never been shown, but he was bred by somebody who did show dogs and he was a pet quality, but he had... There's huge amounts of feathers that you see at the at the dog show, like you don't see the dog's legs with cocker spaniels. It's just a huge right. skirt of thick fur. Even if I trimmed it down, there was still a huge amount. And he would bat a soccer ball to the golden retriever. She would pick it up. She'd bring it back to me. I'd roll it to Elfie and he would soccer ball <laughs> it to her. So, you know, I didn't know about agility then. But imagine if if a kind of a poet philosopher like that was given a chance to be on the little league team. He might have shown who knows.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's true. And, and you just, you just never know who's going to be, who's going to be your That's next right. star, whether, whether it's a, a dog that you got from a breeder or you got it from your shelter. That's right. And you in, know, in any you case,
0: just, their full personality will come out by doing these competitions and doing them with you as a partner.
1: Right and that's the great thing about USDA. I mean like I said earlier they have a variety of programs so if if you don't want to be on the world team and travel all over the, the world and, and represent Team USA and you just want to go out there and have some fun and get some exercise for you and your dog we've got a program for that. But if you want to be the national champion or the world champion we've got that too and that's yeah. what makes that's that's what the variety of of USDA is all about. It's you know we've got a variety of different um uh, challenges that you face all the time. I mean, in the 20 years I've been competing, I've never run the same course twice.
0: Wow. So everyone has kept on their toes. Well, we've used up our time, Annie, quite delightfully. I just want to say that good luck to the U.S. team. I didn't even realize there were international teams, so we should be patriotic and be, and be rooting for, for our team. I guess maybe you'll, you'll let me know now that we know each other by email when there are big competitions coming up that people can watch on the TV or on the computer or on a device. Yeah, we've got some live we've got some live streaming events we're have I can have share with you Tracy. Goody, so everyone listening, if if any of this piques your interest, and even if you don't want to do it yourself, you just want to support the organization and all the great people competing, we're gonna be able to watch from afar and maybe somebody will sniff around and try it close up and find that they love it. Annie, thanks for being here. Thanks for your commitment to this wonderful sport and to encouraging other people to join you um, in the twenty years to, to come. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate your time.
0: Take care. We will. Uh, we will talk again sooner. Be in touch. Bye bye. I'll be right back after this quick word with Meg Donahue and her book "Dog Crazy." This show is supported by Vectra and Vectra Three D, the safe and effective parasite treatments you put on your pet's skin every month to create an invisible shield that repels and kills parasites on contact. Parasites that are a health hazard to all members of your family. Vectra is the anti-flea topical treatment that kills all three life cycles of the flea. Vectra 3D is the anti-tick protection, only for dogs, not intended for cats, but after the two-hour drying period, they can be around a dog who's been treated. Vectra is waterproof and safe for dogs, cats, and for the people in your family, too, with protection proven to last a full 30 days. Support for this show also comes from Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality pure omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils, which our bodies cannot produce but need on a daily basis. Omega-3 fatty acids EPA and DHA are natural anti-inflammatories used by the body for skin, bone, and joint health and for brain function. Nordic Naturals uses responsibly sourced, healthy wild fish and uses third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness to provide their oils to people and their pets for optimal health on a cellular level. I am back with Meg Donahue and this delightful book, Dog Crazy. You might already know her because she has bestsellers, How to Eat a Cupcake. I would actually like to know, what is that about? And all the summer girls. She has all kinds of degrees in creative writing, Dartmouth College, Columbia University, Born and raised in Philadelphia, she lives in San Francisco with her husband, children, and the dog. Welcome to the show, Meg. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I don't want to get off topic too much, but how do you eat a cupcake? And isn't that the most (laughs) wonderful title because it's like an Oreo? I mean, how do you eat an Oreo? How do you eat a cupcake? I mean, it's difficult if you just take a bite smack on the side. You get icing up your nose.
2: (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, the book is actually it has two. How to Eat a Cupcake has two main characters, and they each eat a cupcake completely. Oh, differently. that's darling. Totally different methods for eating a cupcake. That's darling. But the one thing that I learned actually after uh, writing the book, which I was so excited to learn, but also disappointed to learn it after writing and right. publishing the book, is that really the best way to eat a cupcake is to. Pull off the bottom half of the cupcake, so like the cake part. Right. And you put it on top of the icing. No. And you make an, a cupcake sandwich. And so the, the icing oh. is between the two layers of cake. Well, you know, you could have had a third...
0: Way. You could have had a third character do that, Meg, but I'm telling you, some of these cupcakes, the, the $6 versions, the icing is enough to ice seven other cupcakes. So even if you put it in the middle, it's still going to squish out tremendously. I'm sure your you're right. sure two characters had a more manageable way. Well, <laughs> you, you clearly throw yourself into things because this book, Dog Crazy, isn't just about the wonderful character and her own craziness, I might say, not to mention the crazy dog that she crosses paths with. But the whole topic of grief counseling for pets, which from the notes that I got from William Morrow, your wonderful publisher, is something that you kind of heard about and then immersed yourself in by, by interviewing a grief counselor and just went to town with it. I mean, you've never grief counseled yourself or have you ever got, gotten any grief counseling because you, you lost a much beloved dog, O.E., your Portuguese water dog, and he seems to have stayed with you in a very powerful way. Did you ever have a grief counselor?
2: Uh, no, I never did for myself, but um, you know, I did meet with a grief counselor who specializes in in pet bereavement for research for the book, and I thought it was so fascinating. And she gave me some reading to do, which has been which was very helpful in researching the book. And one of the things that I learned from her was that um, one of the many reasons why it's hard to get sometimes hard to get over. And usually hard to get over the loss of a dog, is that um, we don't have a lot of um, society-approved rights for yes. memorializing pets the way we do with people. Um, and so one of the benefits of seeing a counselor <clears throat> is just so that you have this, this space to, to mourn. But um, as it turns out, a lot of the mourning of pets is really celebrating the life of of your pet and thinking about the happy memories and having that be your focus rather than the passing of the pet, but more, you know, the memories and the time that you've spent with this pet. And so even though for me, I, I never saw a counselor, um, for myself, I felt like I sort of had that experience when I was writing this book because I was thinking so much, even though the book is original, I based one of the character, the dog characters on this beloved dog of mine who. Who I lost about five years ago, and um, and so the course of writing the book, I sort of felt like it was my bereavement time in a way. I was celebrating the life of this beloved best friend of mine um, through writing.
0: And so and the, the answer is sort of yes and no, <laughs> which is nice, which is really cool because you got to have the really positive experience. The character who has a a similar um, sad. Well, sad is not the right word. She's very overwhelmed, or, or very conscious of not just the loss of her, her the, the death of her dog Toby, but I guess her agoraphobia was triggered at that time. So she, you know, dog crazy is really. You're a great titleist because that is such a great title. You think, okay, it's about someone who's dog crazy. It isn't. There's crazy people in this book, and they're crazy around the issue of dogs. So we have her with her agoraphobia, and then we have. And she's a pet loss grief counselor who can't really leave her house. Everything gets brought in. And then she gets this client who's pretty damn crazy over the loss of a dog who is sort of like missing an action. It's sort of like people whose loved ones, no one has found their remains. And so everyone says, well, they're dead by now, but you don't, you don't want to believe it. So the craziness of the people is what makes the book so compelling. And of course they're, they're, because it's called dog crazy and you're on dog talk. So everyone doesn't have to be surprised that there's all sorts of dogs in the book, but they are part of people's their connection to the world or their lack of it, their connection to themselves or their lack of it. The girl who comes into the grief counseling is, is pretty overwrought. She's pretty much of a giant mess, right? I mean, over grieving that she can't do because she's convinced her dog. Billy is just out there somewhere. If only she could find him. Did that idea come to you at the same time as the grief counselor as your main character?
2: You know, it's always hard for me to remember and sort of pull out the threads of of how everything came together. But I did, um, you know, I knew I wanted to write about the human canine bond. That was sort of the central thing that I really wanted to write about. And I think that um, part of unfortunately loving a dog is also losing a dog you know yeah
0: always the
2: only bad thing about a dog is how short that's their right. life yeah
0: Someone
2: said that once and i keep repeating it and i should really figure out who it was who actually first said that but it has really stuck with me and um so that was that's sort of what brought me to the idea of you know if i'm going to write about the human canine bond one one really interesting way to do it might be through the eyes of this pet bereavement specialist because she's dealing with um, her own loss, but also her patients' um, troubles getting over their dogs, and and then the other thing that I just love to write about is our mysteries. And so I was really thinking about how to weave in a mystery into this story, and I think that's sort of where Anya's storyline came to me was this idea of someone whose family forces her to go see a therapist. So right. That she can grieve a dog, but she doesn't believe the dog has died. She thinks the dog has been stolen. Um, but, you know, she's sort of been knocked off her off her rocker a little yes. bit by yes. losing her dog. And so it's hard to believe her when she says, you know, no, you have to believe me, the dog has been stolen. But she really has no real reason to think that. So, um, So that's sort of where the the mystery came in and I liked the idea of tying in um, some of the main character, Maggie's own issues, you know, how she can heal herself through Anya as much as Anya learns to heal herself through
0: Maggie's And in in both of their cases, it happens, at least in some good part, through these foster dogs who they help out with and who are their kind of Bridge to the outside world, bridge back to sanity, bridge back to other humans, bridge back to you know society, whatever we mean by that, um, and that's and that's a wonderful idea. I mean, I think your depiction of agoraphobia and someone just completely panic stricken by having to leave their home, even to go out on the sidewalk, is tremendous, and and also speaks to. I've had many guests on the show that have PTSD assistance dogs for mostly veterans who have as part of post-traumatic stress syndrome, a huge fear of being out in public, leaving home, being around other people. And and you really get that so well with her, the baby steps she takes in the beginning with Giselle the poodle of just having her hand on that springy hair. I loved how you called it springy. I thought, that's true. Poodles (laughs) do have springy hair. And holding the leash and how that really is a bridge to the outside. And for many of us, for many people, the dog is their connection back to the outside world. They wouldn't old some older people they say would never leave home to even go for a walk if they didn't have to walk the dog and it gets them out. Otherwise they would right. just sit home and do nothing and there's people that might be depressed and people that might work from home or people who might, you know, have eating disorders but a dog gets you out and gets you maybe away from the fridge or away from the TV or the computer and reconnects you to the other humans which is just one of life's little ironies. I'd love you to read a section about a dog called Seymour who was just, I don't know, he touched me a lot. He was a dog who had been in foster and he piddled out of fear. And uh, I guess our our main character, Maggie, excuse me, agrees to try and figure out some way to get him either the foster family's a little sick of the pee and maybe to get him, if not adopted, at least fostered by someone else. And getting a good photo of him that's that's kind of well known now in the rescue world that a good photo does amazing things for a dog so i think that has set it up well when she first meets seymour which is by the way another great name um so i gave you a little spot i wanted you to start from but if you think that there's anything more you want to add before starting please do
2: um let's see just to say i guess that she maggie is there also with Anya, this patient of hers, and a friend's dog whose name is, the dog's name is Giselle.
0: And that's the poodle um, who helped, who originally poodle. helped Maggie to, to venture out onto the sidewalk. Not very far, but at least she got out.
2: Right, exactly, the the baby steps.
0: Right, exactly. And,
2: um, and Seymour is being fostered by um, Grant and Chip. So those are the other names that you might okay. hear as I'm reading here. Um, so this is when Maggie first sees. Seymour. Shall I start? Please do. Okay. And then I see his sweet, anxious face peering around a corner of the couch. I feel like I know him already. It's like seeing an old friend. A warm feeling blooms in my chest. I chalk this up to having stared so often at his photo on the website. Giselle has caught sight of Seymour, too. She releases an excited whimper and tugs at the leash. Oh, hello, Seymour, I say softly. I hand Giselle's leash to Anya and pull a couple of biscuits from my pocket. I give one to Giselle and then walk over and then walk toward Seymour. When I'm still a few feet away from him, I kneel on the floor and hold out the biscuit. I find I'm holding my breath, unsure how he'll respond, and I'm relieved when he folds his huge, drooping ears back against his head and pads over to me, tail wagging, head hanging low. He looks up at me from the tops of his big, brown, uncertain eyes. Go ahead, I tell him, moving the biscuit closer. It's for you. Without breaking eye contact with me, Seymour takes the biscuit and holds it between his teeth on one side of his mouth so that half of the treat sticks out limply from between his lips. He looks like he belongs in that painting of dogs playing poker, a cigar hanging from his mouth. Aren't you going to eat it, I ask, smiling? But he just holds the biscuit there and wags his tail some more. He makes a sort of low sound, like a friendly growl, really more like a purr. Grant, Anya, and I all laugh. He does that, Grant says. Chip thinks he's part golden, part Bassett, and part cat. Are you part cat, I ask Seymour. His eyebrows rise and shift together, giving him a perturbed look. I stroke his head and then hold his huge ears back with both of my hands. Without his ears, his face looks just like golden retrievers, all devotion and loyalty and trust. He practically oozes dignity. How do dogs do that? I look into his big brown eyes and feel that soft, melted butter feeling spread through my chest again. What happened to make you so scared? Seymour is still holding the biscuit, but now he rests his velvety muzzle on my wrist. Had someone hurt him? Who could do that to a dog? The thought turns my stomach. Seymour's steady breath is warm on my forearm. It's as much of an answer as I'll ever get. Oh, I say, you are sweet, aren't you? I turn back toward Anya and Grant, reluctantly taking my eyes off Seymour, and try to focus my thoughts. We really just have to get people out here to see him. How could you resist this face? That photo of him doesn't do him any justice at all.
0: It's just a wonderful sense of, of, how, of how connected she is to the dog, and, and really how any of us can easily have that feeling if we just give ourselves that extra minute, you know, to really look at a dog and really let them look at us. And yeah, how how can anybody do that to a dog to make him feel so lousy about himself and the world? And and I, I think a lot of us that adopt and rehome dogs think we always are trying to find out the answer to that. What made you be so fill in the blank? You know, who did what right. to you to make you feel like that? And right. we, of course, we want to fix it. And it's not always fixable, but you can do a workaround. You can find a way around it. And and a dog like like Seymour is just the right fit for the right person that needs that very feeling. They don't want an outgoing, I'm fine, everything's great kind of dog. At that moment, I think that connection, and that's a lot of what comes out in the book, that the connection between the dog's personality and and how they're feeling about the world can really mesh nicely with a human who's having maybe an imperfect uh, experience about being on Earth too. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And I say... I have Maggie, the main character, say in the book, and it's something that I feel as well, that, um, you know, when everything lines up the way it should, and I think yes. it usually does, you get the dog that you're meant to have yep. at a particular place in your life. You know, there's a reason that you're connected to a certain dog or a certain dog ends up in your life. And, um, you know, the a personality of a certain dog might might just be the exact right fit for you in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s or in your 50s. And, um, you know, those the, the right dog for the right moment of your life is going to change um, over the course of your life. But it always seems to work out,
0: I think. It does, and, and it's, it's interesting when you trust that instinct, even though it makes no sense. And then other people come around and go, God, can you stand when the dog does this or that? I mean, they do it with my dog, Maisie. Is she like this all the time? <laughs> and then someone else said to me, do you actually really like her? I'm like, I absolutely adore her. I don't mind that she wants to play with one of her 17 toys in the toy box that she brings one at a time and tugs and pulls. I don't mind. I think good for you to have that exuberance. It just, you know, it keeps my spirits aloft. But really, someone said, is she always like this? Well, yeah, when she sleeps, not. But then she doesn't sleep at all during the day. Not at all. Never met a dog that, does. you know, dogs spend so much time sleeping. No, no, maybe does right. just have time to sleep. And it's fine with me. And you think... How did, you know, my sister and I drive all the way to Virginia to get this dog from We're on rescue, and I didn't wow. know anything, just a few sentences. She's so sweet and loves everybody. That doesn't tell you anything. I didn't see a picture. You just have to trust right in the timing when it's a rehoming. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I know that your current dog is from a, time, a, a rescue of Taiwanese dogs in San Francisco, and I'm just wondering, is it, um, is it the same group that Pally Boucher has run for all these years? Pilot, uh, rocket no, dog? I don't.
2: No, it's not. It's, it's called, um, the acronym is Ahan. I think it stands, what does it stand for? Asians for Human, Animals, and Nature, I think is amazing.
0: is. amazing. Well, when I was first, the dog Bible came out. I did a little little dog Bible pooch party in San Francisco, and there was this gal who had rocket dog rescue, and talk about a dog rescuing somebody. She was a homeless drug addict, but really homeless and really a drug addict, big time. Wow. Found a dog to rescue on the street and it turned her life around, and she wound up being absolutely, you know, 110% of her life and her time spent finding dogs on the street and finding foster homes and, you know, getting vet care for them. And at one point, she was suddenly involved in, in this early idea that there were street dogs in Taiwan that needed adopting, and there's very few small dogs in U.S. shelters. And these dogs are all pretty small, like yours, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds, so I just think it's amazing. Who would think that the love of your life, four-legged, would would have come from Taiwan? And yet, there you are, the West Coast. Taiwan isn't that far away. It's just one plane ride, however long the plane ride is, right?
2: Exactly. And, and I mean, this dog is, is our family dog. You know, we got him before we had kids, and now we've introduced three little human baby oh my sisters goodness. to him. And he is just the most perfect family dog you could and who would and imagine. who would think it's it right? So a little sweet.
0: a little guy from the streets of Taiwan and they in in a lot of these yeah. Asian countries they are fully what they politely call community owned. They're stray dogs. I mean they're not right. feral, but they certainly are not socialized in the way that we would hope or trained or or, right. or used to being in a home. And funny how you could just fit right in in a lovely California home with lots of nice right. people and good food and. And I love the Hawaiian shirt you have on him. And I did think it was George Clooney and the Descendants. You have such funny notes. I did think, is that George Clooney and the Descendants? But no, it was only your dog wearing a Hawaiian shirt. It's great being with you, Meg. Thank you for being here. Thank you for writing Dog Crazy. Wishing many more dogs and, and a lot more writing from you. And you will be welcome back with any of it. Oh,
2: thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank Take you. Take care. Have
0: a great day and enjoy all the dogs in your life. Take care. Oh, Thanks thank so you. much. thank you, too. <laughs> We'll be right back after this quick word with Audrey from A Fair Shake. This show is supported by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline only veterinarian who has created many different low dust litters for the health of all members of the family, for the special needs of every cat from kittens to old kitties, and long haired and those with out of litter box problems who can get back in the box with cat litter. Precious Cats' new litter, Touch of the Outdoors, is made with field grasses grown in their own fields, bringing the natural scent of the outdoors to provide environmental enrichment for indoor cats. This show is also brought to you by Vivimmune Chews, a natural supplement using OxyC-Beta, a new active ingredient based on oxidized beta-carotene found in foods like red and orange vegetables. Vivimmune is a chewable that has been scientifically proven to support immune function in dogs and cats with the main benefits to joints, skin, and digestion, usually seen within a month. Modern life creates many stressors on a pet's immune system, which is further challenged as they age, and Vivimmune can help pets lead the healthiest possible life. I am back with Audrey Handler from A Fair Shake for Youth, this very cool organization, which I didn't know about, but maybe some of you New Yorkers, city New Yorkers knew about, or maybe some of you on the Upper West Side knew about. She got in touch with me when she heard about the Dog Film Festival being at Symphony Space in October and wanted... Her kids and her dogs to somehow be involved. We haven't figured out how that will happen. There, if, where there's a will, there's a way. But I thought, what a great organization! So, Audrey, welcome to the show, and congratulations on this really wonderful program that you now have in six schools in Manhattan. But we we hope, I'm sure, that it will grow to other schools, right? Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy. Yes, we, we have uh, grown over the last several years, and
3: actually now we have a, a couple of schools in the Bronx, a school in Brooklyn, we've been wow. in Queens, so we're definitely growing.
0: Wow, you're you're multi borough See, I didn't even know that. I thought you were in one zone and, and you know, going to work your way out. You already worked your way out. Explain yeah, we, a- we started another boroughs last year, so. Wow, that's quite a, quite a distance to organize things. I mean, Brooklyn might as well be East Hampton from New York sometimes, I'm sure, between traffic and other things, but that's really... Really terrific. Explain how it works. They're at-risk youth. What are they at risk for? Does it mean that they come from an economically disadvantaged background or if they've already gotten in trouble? What does at-risk mean?
3: Well, at, you know, at-risk is sort of a catch-all and, and really all kids are at risk. But what what we focus on are, you know, really probably what are better term disadvantaged kids. We focus on kids that live in neighborhoods that don't have the opportunities that a lot of other kids have. So it's really an economic, um... disadvantage. But with that economic disadvantage, unfortunately too often comes with other disadvantages about, you know, housing and school and healthcare and, and, you know, single parent households or multiple working households. Right. So, so it could be any number. Sometimes the kids are in trouble. It just depends on, on our program. We also work with community organizations. So, you know, to your point of where there's a will, there's a way, you know, where there's a need, we try to be
0: there. So what's, what's curious to me is I would think that if, if someone came into my, and they're public schools, yes. So if someone came into the public school and somehow announced to the class of X, is there an age group that that is? A... Yes, we focus, we've, we've tried all different age
3: groups, you know, since we started at the end of 2010, but now we really focus on middle school kids. So basically your sixth to eighth graders are sort of our sweet spot, if you
0: will. That's a a great age and and both, you know, not entirely hardened yet, but still very open to learning. But I mean, if I would imagine if you go into the auditorium and say, well, we're going to bring in some handlers with assistance dogs and you're going to help train them. How do you say it's only for the kids that are politically correct, at risk or disadvantaged when I would think everybody would want to? So how do you pick the kids and how do they perceive themselves as being picked?
3: Well, what we basically do is we, once we decide on a school and we basically use, if we're, if we're talking about schools, we also work with settlement houses and things like that. But if we're talking about a school, our basic criteria is we use the percentage of kids who qualify for free lunch as our proxy of need. That makes sense. Right. And so once we um, have established that, then we kind of work with the school and mostly we let the school decide which kids. Some schools decide... It's a special privilege and a club, right. you know. Right. And some schools say, you know what, you know Johnny's really having a tough time at home, or John, or you know Sally's being bullied, or this kid is in in their shell. And I think they could benefit. And as long as they're not allergic or super afraid or you know potentially dangerous to the dogs, that's fine. You know, we think that any kid in that school, basically any kid in any school, could benefit from right. our program. Right. So, you know, once we're in that school, we're pretty flexible about who the
0: kids are. And then what is, what happens in a fair shake for youth? What, what is the procedure that happens that involves dogs? <laughs> That's our favorite part, right? Yes.
3: So what we'll do is each program uh, it generally involves 12 kids. So these are 12 middle school kids. And it's either during the day or as an after school program we'll have 12 kids and three therapy dog teams. So a therapy dog team is, you know, the the dogs that you normally hear about visiting um, patients in hospitals or going to a nursing home. So the same three teams come to the same school with the same 12 kids over a course of generally 10 weeks. um, And they meet with the kids for an hour. So say every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, we go to a certain school and part of each session, the kids are working with the adult and there's also a teacher. So myself or my teacher are there with the three teams, directing activities. Part of the time is hands-on work with the dogs, learning how to get them to sit, how to down, do some tricks. We have a couple of mini agility obstacles, cognition games, and that's all about positive reinforcement, which, Turns out is, is it one of the hardest parts was getting kids to feel comfortable praising the dogs.
1: Really? Um,
3: yeah, we go around and have the kids practice. We have like the, you know, praise meter, like who thinks, you know, Tom can and can do better than that, you know, and, and, and it all relates to the kids. But we'll come back to that. Right. So um, so they, they do this work. It's positive reinforcement. It's how to build trust, how to have a positive relationship. Um, and then part of each session, there's a topic from our, our curriculum. We'll talk about shelters. We'll talk about breed discrimination, rescue, working dogs. And a lot of the things we talk about relate to the kids, and, but it's easier to kind of relate to it through the dogs. It's less a, of, a, a, of a risk to the kids or a threat.
0: Right, right, um, to discuss it that way.
3: Right, so it, it relates to their own life in a way that's kind of manageable and, and disarming for them.
0: Yes. So when you said that the thing that the kids have the hardest time doing – is expressing a whole lot of praise is not a familiar activity for them saying, good boy, what a good boy, because. Oh, that was very good, Tracy. Oh, I was practiced very it good. a lot, a lot, because otherwise <laughs> I don't get what I want around here from the four-legged. Sometimes I talk yeah, like that to my exactly. husband. It doesn't work as well. But um is that an unfamiliar-sounding uh, interchange? In other words, they haven't really experienced that much positive reinforcement of themselves. Well, I think
3: that is definitely the issue. You know, I don't want to make any sweeping generalizations. But, but yeah, you know, they're not maybe used to getting as much praise as and positive reinforcement from, from people around them. So we, you know, we do fist bumps. We, we're nice. always about praise in the kids and the thing that we get to do we try to relate everything back to them so you know one of my favorite things to do when we're talking in one of the early lessons about praise and training a dog is we review well who's your favorite teacher why were they your favorite teacher right yes because it's the same thing about a dog it's somebody who's patient somebody who makes it fun somebody who understands me right so it's the same um, it's really the same kind of thing. And I'll go up to a kid and I'll say, Well, how, are you going to feel motivated if I say to you, Wow, you're going to do a really great job on your homework? I can see you work. Versus if I say, Wow, I can see you must have worked really hard on that. That's the best paper all semester. I'm really proud of you. And the kids laugh, you right, know, right. but they get it. So oh, if yeah. you say to a dog, you I going to do a great job, you know, or if I say to you, Right? Or if I say to you, I've never met you, and, and I come in here, and I ask you to go to the corner and get me a pizza, what are you going to think about me? And they all look at me like I have three heads, right? Right. So I say it's the same thing with the dog. You have to develop trust, a relationship, and then you can ask them to do things, and they'll actually right. want to do it for you. So That's nice. So, yeah. are you,
0: so you've got 12 kids, and, and the therapy dogs and teams are volunteers just as they are when they go to hospitals. Exactly or- right. So, do exactly you, so right. you've developed relationships with those pet partner groups in the city, of which there are, are quite a few, and they're fantastic. And I would think that for those therapy teams, it's really rewarding because sometimes they can bring their dogs somewhere where there's not a, a big reception that day to them being there. In terms of positive reinforcement, I would think that the, that the, the volunteer handlers and dogs – that they get a lot of posit- a lot more energetic positive reinforcement than they might in some of the places they go to do a good deed. Well, uh, you
3: know, to be fair, I like to think so, but you know, everybody has their own thing. But um, I think our volunteers do really like what they do because, you know, it's really terrific to visit somebody in a hospital or or a or a kid in a hospital. Um, but your ability to Affect what happens to that child or that patient is more limited. You can certainly make them feel better in the moment, or and you know play a role. But when you meet with a kid week after week, and one of the things that honestly surprised me was that the kids, because they're this sort of impressionable middle school age, where they're young enough but old enough, um, they're excited to see the same adults every week. The adult says, "I'll see you next week," and they they come back, and the adult wants to know how. The week was and what's going on with them and did they get the puppy they were going to get and um, they can actually see you know kid not all kids change during the program but we do see the kids change and volunteers can really feel like they were part of making you know a difference in someone's life in a really serious way
0: and that's that's got to be so gratifying are you looking for more schools to partner with, and therefore more volunteer teams? I mean, what is your what is your dream or wish list? We, you know, both, but I, you know, we have, um, we get great
3: reception these days in schools. I think the awareness of what dogs can do with and for people has really increased just in the several years that we've definitely, been working. Definitely, definitely. I think our biggest thing is to, is to, get more volunteer teams on board, people who have a dog that could be a therapy dog, which means it really likes people. It's really about temperament. It likes people. It's outgoing. Um, it's resilient. So if something drops, they're okay with it and, um, you know, can basically follow commands and be into control. Um, having more teams available
0: to us means we can go to more schools. So are you already in touch with, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact name because so many names of so many organizations kind of blend together in my mind, but there is a great pet partner program in the city. One one person yes, even has a cat.
3: Teams, yeah, most of our teams are, in fact, pet partners, and they they've are. been really wonderful and, and um very supportive. We actually just had what I like to call with the ASPCA. They had a career night to try to match up facilities and teams who are looking for work. Oh, how nice! So, yeah, it was it was really terrific, and and it's great because people with therapy dogs are you know they're looking to do good. So That's it's right. It's a, it's a nice.
0: They want to feel like they nice matter. Thing. Well, I'm going to ask at Bidowee because they're the official beneficiary of the dog film festival, which is how we came to know each other. And they have a a beautiful facility on the West side in in the thirties in Manhattan. And there's obviously lots of dogs for adoption. And for all we know, they may have people who volunteer there who also are, have a therapy, a dog of their own that is appropriate for these kind of therapy visits. And I think anyone who volunteers at a shelter is someone with a really big heart. And, uh, would be happy to learn of these. It's really an opportunity to feel like you and your dog can make a difference. And as you said, it's it is wonderful to visit a nursing home. And in that moment, you can see you're bringing some joy and pleasure. But to really feel you're part of something that is the whole development of another human, and your dog is helping that happen, is uh, I, I think is a tremendous feeling as well. Yeah. So, you know, the the reason
3: I got started was that You know, I spent most of my career doing you know marketing. And I got involved with an organization called Puppies Behind Bars, where oh, really? We all raised... knew
0: about that. Was that something that you were part of in the beginning? That was like the first. Not in the
3: beginning. It was, in, in, um, but I was a volunteer. I went from being a volunteer to being really? a super volunteer to, to teaching in one of the in two of the prisons, and I, I saw the impact that that the dogs had on the inmates in terms of them feeling good about themselves and what they could do and and being human again and it was it was the most rewarding thing I had ever done and and you know I I could tell you story after story but one one time it just kind of hit me that you know why are we waiting till someone has grown up and in trouble to have the impact Um, on the dogs, because there was was one woman who, like, you know, she started out without a lot of self-confidence, and then, like, a year later, she's challenging me for, like, one point on question one on a test, and I thought, wow, that's really amazing. Like, you know, not only did she think she was right and willing to challenge me, but challenged me in front of, you know, a whole bunch of other other you know,
0: inmates. So- she developed that, that level of feeling that she had a right. I mean, it's funny. Right. It was just sh- like, you go, girl. Yes. <laughs> you know? You know, it's funny you should mention that because when you were talking about the kids and their self-esteem and, and feeling also sometimes a kinship with animals, especially if the animal may have come from a shelter and may have had a, a rough beginning themselves, there are actually several movies that are going to be in the film festival and a number have already made submissions, but it, it's early days until October mm-hmm. or September when it closes. But there's a one gentleman out in San Diego who's making a full-length documentary, and he's going to make it short enough to be under the 45-minute limit for the film festival. It's called Pooch. And that's a, 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 one of these programs in the prison in San Diego with the, the puppies behind bars. There's, of course, puppies behind bars. And then there's uh, one of the Shelter Me programs on PBS that Halo was a sponsor of, uh, the man who directed and produced all those wonderful, mm-hmm. many, 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 several of them, are about prisoners behind bars. Another one called Dogs on the Inside, right, made by the woman who made the film Buck. So I think there is, a, and and it's very touching to see these inmates. Some of them are lifers. Some of them Absolutely. will be there for life. It's not even the the idea that oh, when I get out, I'll you know work with dogs. Although some of them may in fact do that. It's really a sense of dignity and a sense of purpose and a sense of mutual affection. It's not that they just don't feel it in prison. They have never really experienced it in their life. And it may be part of their life story that wound them up in prison. So Absolutely. I can imagine how deeply moved you must have been and, and how smart to say, well, you know, one never knows with a young child. I, I did a lot of work in, in foster care in, in California with a group called United friends of the children and, and going every week, I went every week. The group only went once a month, but I wound up going every week. And I did pick the kind of lower school age kids. They were called the Pixies. And so they were up to age 12, I want to say, sort of 6 to 12. And the idea of the same adult coming back and caring about them and and knowing anything about them and asking a question, it's really very sobering to realize that it doesn't take very much interaction with a kid who needs something positive to make an impact that lasts for life. So you can just say one or two things, do one or two things with a kid who uh, has lived in a desert, hasn't had that positive interaction, that great experience of themselves with someone else. And they can carry that forward. And it's a beacon of light in what otherwise might just seem, you know, there might be times that they would feel, not so good, so I think what you're doing is really uplifting and, and over a twelve week period you think well, it's only an hour a week it makes a huge difference. I think it's yeah. fantastic what you're doing, Audrey. I'm looking forward to to inviting a fair shake for youth to share and if not the film festival, the pooch party. We got to get some of your your therapy. Team handlers to come to. They deserve a party to thank them for all the things that they've done. <laughs> they like brought a good to party. So do the kids. So, do yes, the, yeah, so parties are, the kids. are good. We'll put them to work. We'll put them to work uh, passing hors d'oeuvres to the dogs. Something like that.
3: That would be good. The dogs yeah. are always hungry, I I can assure you that. So Yes, and
0: we're gonna be at a dog friendly hotel and um, it's funny, I didn't think to ask if the hotel is child friendly. not always the same thing, right? No, I'm only kidding. Yeah. Of course <laughs> they'll be of course they'll be welcome. It's it's wonderful what you're doing. The city of New York is very, very lucky to have you. And well, thank you. Anybody listening who's in any of the boroughs in Manhattan and you, you have a dog who's just a good egg, you don't have to already be part of an organization. It doesn't no, take we'll much. No, yeah, we'll That's help right. you get certified. The, canine, and, you know. the, the AKC K9 good, good Citizen Certificate, citizen. it's and, really and we easy helped- to get.
3: Right. And we help volunteers get to where they need to go. That's oh, that's wow. the other thing to be aware of. Because, you know, when, when we go to schools up in the Bronx or out in Brooklyn, they're not necessarily, right. you know, enough teams. So, you know, part of what the key to our organization is making sure that the teams can get to where they need where the kids where the kids are and, you have, and thought, we you need have it.
0: thought of everything which is i don't know about everything but we're working on it and so you need to until now but but getting that we had someone from the akc come on about the canine good citizen um certificate and it's really pretty darn simple to get and would allow someone to help you well we've run out of time wonderful okay. to spend time with you keep up the good work thank you much keep very much Tracy. okay great of, your, of all of your uh, upcoming accomplishments which i'm sure will we'll, do Take care. Thanks. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. I hope any of you in the city that might consider spending an hour a week with these kids in these schools, I would do it. I would absolutely do it. I mean, I think Maisie would do it. I, I Some of the kids must have a little more energy than her, not many, but some. Have a great rest of the day. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, and we will talk again soon. Bye for now.